John chapter 13, verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That It's poetic almost, isn't it? It's beautiful. And this comes right when Jesus is talking to his disciples, um, right when he's about to go to the cross. And, and Jesus, the way that that is described, can you just imagine John sitting there writing? Um, he loved them until the very end. And it, it's beautiful because the disciples were kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just uh, so much like we are kind of messed up as mm-hmm. well, right? Yeah. And yet, the way that John knew he was loved, the way he described Christ's love for him, um, it, it's for us too. He, we are his own. Having loved his own, he will love us until our end as well. This is really neat because we're contemplating Jesus' heart as well as, uh, you know, his actions as we march uh, through the Gospels and take a look at his, his earthly life and, and the way he responded to the lost and the, and the brokenhearted characters. Um, that's the way we really begin to grasp, in even a small way, uh, how yeah. he feels toward us. And we experience that in the midst of our own challenges. And what you're doing here in your book is you're doing that very thing. You're just taking snapshots out of the Gospels, and yeah. you are highlighting these. And you've got, you know, some of the chapters, like, for instance, Jesus with the doubters, Jesus with the discouraged, uh, Jesus with the deniers. Let's dive into some of these. It goes on and on and on. What about Jesus with the doubters? Yeah, and you know, this is so beautiful. I think uh, we can know theoretically that God loves us or that Jesus loves us. I think we would all be like, oh, of course, you know, because he has to. <laughs> He's Jesus, and so he has to love us. But to know that how he loved people specifically and how he loves us specifically. And so in this, this chapter of Jesus and the Doubters, of course, I went to the famous example of Thomas, um, who, by the way, is like the only person in the Bible who's defined by his sin. Like, it's part of his name, right? Doubting Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I yeah. look him up when I get to heaven and ask him all about that. So this Doubting Thomas thing, has it been bugging you all these years? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, like, the Bible is chock full of sinners and people who've done, uh, you know, terrible things. And he's the only one who, who we just continue to define by his sin. But the beautiful thing is Jesus didn't define him by his sin. Yeah. Um, Jesus actually knows Thomas is doubting. And instead of shaming him for it, instead of just saying, ah, you know, you should know. Come on, man. You were with me the whole time. What's your problem? Instead of that, what does he do with Thomas? He says to him, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas immediately says to him, my Lord and my God. So Jesus doesn't tell Thomas, ah, please stop doubting. He comes to Thomas where he's at in the middle of his doubts, and he says, touch me. Look at me. I'm here. I'm for you. That happened, and I've been raised from the dead. He doesn't shame Thomas for his doubts. He goes to him and he meets him in his doubts. And what's beautiful, and I think this is so often like we think, oh, in order to uh, for God to love us, we have to have this extreme faith, and we have to just like God, no matter what, I'm for you, and I know you love me. And and that's not how Jesus was with Thomas. How Jesus was with Thomas was in the weakness of his faith, in the very place where Thomas wasn't sure. Jesus goes to him and says, "Touch me, feel me." I'm right here, and I'm 
still want to be in relationship with you. You know, Jesus is so much easier on people than we are. Yeah, this is so true. Mm. <laughs> and and what's mm. wild is he, he's the one that can, he's the one that uh, rightfully can demand uh, perfection. He's the one that can rightfully demand you not doubting him. And yet he's the one that doesn't. He's the one that comes to us and understands that we're weak and not just understands because that's amazing in and of itself. But Hebrews talks about how um, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. So in the very spots in our life where we feel like surely he's ashamed of me here, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He feels it with us. Um, Charles Spurgeon says that, that that means that if you put two grand pianos in a room, if something hits the, uh, if you hit a, a note on one grand piano, the string on the other vibrates. And he talks about how that's the same. So when we feel something, Jesus feels something. And so instead of being um, put off by our doubts or annoyed by our doubts, he instead comes to us in our doubts and says, ah, I love you. I'm here. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for bringing out Charles Spurgeon, one of our spiritual <laughs> heroes around here. Boy, everything he said, it was almost uh, everything he said is is quotable. I mean, yeah. that's just the bottom line. Uh, that illustration was great. You know, something else uh, I was thinking about when it comes to Thomas. He was not there when Jesus first appeared right. uh, to the disciples yep. in that first appearance. But he's, he never gave up, evidently, meeting with the yeah. disciples, even though right. he was doubting that whole time, yeah. and he was still there, so there was a part of him that wanted yeah. to believe. Yeah, right. And with us as well, right? There's a part of us that kind of just, we just can't give it up. <laughs> we can't give it up. We can't give up Jesus, because there's a part of us that wants to believe, and then there's a part of us that's like, that's just too good to be true. You, you know, that just does, it's too much. You can't go that far. And yet, and yet, he holds on to us, right? Mm-hmm. He holds us close. He doesn't let us give up. And so even if your faith is tiny, tiny, it's never, the, the, your faith is never the point. What's the point is what you put your faith in. Because that, what we put our faith in, that is what's ho- strong enough to hold us through any circumstance. Boy. Yeah, I love I that. I like that. Yeah, because yeah, people yeah. are always saying, well, mm-hmm. if you had more faith, our, our right. faith is never at the point. You're right. Yeah. It's the point. Yeah, yeah. it's Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. is always the point. He didn't define Thomas by his doubts. He defined Thomas by his love for him, and he does the same for you and I. All right, Jessica, let's dive into uh, another snapshot out of the Gospels. Jesus with the discouraged. Mm. I mean, and I wonder how many of your listeners this morning are feeling this. Um, Well, I wonder how many people in Maine are feeling that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good point. (laughs) Uh, You think about the way Jesus dealt with the discouraged, and I got to tell you, it was such a joy for me just to walk through the the Gospels slowly and look at every single interaction that Jesus had with different people and to see um, how his response to them was tailored to their discouragement or tailored to what they were going to. And yet 
this overriding sense of Christ's love for whoever was in that situation is just something beautiful to see. In Matthew 9.36, it says this, Seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. This is who Jesus is. It tells us exactly how he felt when he saw this crowd that was discouraged. They were distressed. They were downcast. And what does it say? It says, Jesus felt compassion for them. And that thing, that, like, you can feel compassion for somebody and not be motivated to do anything about it. Yeah. Like, I can feel compassion for the people in Maine, but I'm, I'm doing nothing about that. You can feel compassion for somebody, but also choose uh, to um, just be comfortable. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't just feel compassion and then look away. Jesus' compassion for us, for the discouraged, um, moves him towards us in love. It moves him towards those people in love, and not in a way where he's going to just sort of help them and it won't cost him anything. His compassion towards the distressed and the discouraged literally cost him everything. He gave his very life for those people because he wanted to gather them like a shepherd gathers his sheep, right? Pick them up, put them around his shoulders, protect them, provide for them. This is what Jesus does with the discouraged. And again, um, like with the doubter, so often we think, oh, because I'm discouraged, somehow God loves me less, or somehow he is, um, he's looking at me and, he, and he's shamed, he feels ashamed of me, or, you know, he's like, oh, what's wrong with Jessica today? Why is she discouraged? Doesn't she see all the things that I've done for her? Uh, but not so with Jesus. What he does is he feels compassion, and that compassion moves him towards us. And we see this specifically with um, on the road to Emmaus, those, the two disciples after Jesus' death, the way the Bible describes them, they're, they're walking away from um, Jesus' death, his crucifixion, and they're arguing about everything. And, and what the Bible talks about is they're arguing like, we thought he was the one. What happened? And now he's dead. And Jesus comes to them and he says, why are you downcast? What's going on with you? So he comes to us in our discouragement and asks us, tell me what's happening. And then he goes on to, again, doesn't shame them, doesn't say, why didn't you guys just have faith? Instead, what he does is he goes through and he explains the Bible to them. What <laughs> a Bible study that <laughs> was. If only I could have been there. <laughs> yeah. Talks them through their discouragement and uh, walks with them, stays with them, um, and then eventually um, breaks bread with them, which is what he does with us as well, right, in the act of communion. So if you're discouraged, um, remember who he is. He feels compassion for you. He gave his life for you his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, also that you could know um, he loves his children. He loves you. You know what? This ties in very nicely with those who are feeling a sense of failure, of disappointing yeah. Jesus here today. Yeah. And you write extensively uh, about that as well. What do you want to say to folks who are feeling like, a, well, they know the gospel. They know that Jesus yeah. died for their sins 
and he took the wrath for all of their sins. They believe that. Uh, they have received him as Lord and Savior, but they just, they know it's not works-based, uh, you know, to mm. get into heaven. They know all of that. It's just the blood of Jesus. That's it. Faith in, in Jesus alone, nothing else. But, and that's where we get into trouble when we add that word, but. But the reality really is I feel like a failure. I should be, well, fill in the blank. I should be more faithful. I should have, I shouldn't have this besetting sin that I battle. And why am I battling so much sin and all of that? And they feel like, you know what? It looks like my failures are mounting and my successes are few. Mm. Yeah, I would just say to you um, what I say to myself every time I fail, which I know this is going to surprise you guys, but it is often. Um, <laughs> I would say to my, I would say to them and to myself, um, every failure, every failure to love the way I should love, every failure to believe God is who He says He is, um, every failure uh, that I. Um, that I do during the day, um, every failure that you do during the day, um, I would say all of those are hidden in the wounds of Christ. All of our failures have been washed away by the blood of Christ. And so Jesus doesn't define you by your failures. He didn't define Thomas by his failure um, to believe. He doesn't define you by your failure either. All of us are greater than the worst thing we've done. And that's because of the blood of Christ, because he has washed us clean, because he has made us new. Um, We aren't just forgiven. We are justified, which means um, when God sees us, it's just as if we'd never sinned and also just as if we'd always obeyed. You and I are hidden in the perfect work of Christ. So to the failure, I would say, You can stop looking at yourself now and look at your Savior. Look to Him, the lover of your soul, the one who doesn't define you by your sins. Look to Him, run to Him, and hide yourself in Him. Mm. Mm. That's beautifully said. Yeah. Jessica, that's awesome. You know, something else that that you write about in your book that I want to make sure we include in our conversation this morning, can't get to everything, but... Jesus was always healing people. I know that it, you know, he was uh, making sure everybody knew he was fulfilling prophecy, that he was healing diseases and this and that. He was always reaching out to, to heal people. And we might have some folks listening this morning who feel like, you know what, I, I see the encouragement to pray and ask for healing uh, in the Word of God, and and I've been praying, and and Jesus hasn't reached out his hand and touched me yet at least and, and healed me of whatever it is I'm dealing with. Jesus' love for us uh, in the midst of our need for healing. What would, you, what, would you, what would you want to tell folks who are in that boat here this morning? Yeah, and again, so when it talks about Jesus seeing those that need healing, um, it talks about Jesus feeling the Word. Uh, it, the way that it's tri- translated in our Bibles, it says Jesus feels compassion for them. But that word, that Greek word there actually means Jesus was enraged. Hmm. He hates the way things are here. Hmm. They're not the way they should be. And so for people who um, suffer from a disability, who every single day get up and feel their body is not right, their body has betrayed them, um, Jesus is enraged by that as well. And so while you may not be healed here, while you may not experience that complete wholeness here, oh, there is a day coming 
when you will experience complete and full wholeness. So I would just say to you, in those moments where you feel like this isn't fair and this isn't right, I would say it isn't right. It isn't the way it was supposed to be. It's not the way God intended it. And while some people may experience physical healing um, on earth um, now, others may not. But there will be a day. Um, There will be a day when you will be able to experience complete wholeness. Things will be made right. Every tear wiped away. No more sickness, no more sadness, no more death. Just Him. We will be with Him. Emmanuel, God with us, we just celebrated, right, like Him coming to be with us, and now we're going to be with Him. And on that day, you will understand what wholeness is. And that codes for all of us, right? So not just wholeness physically, but wholeness emotionally, psychologically. Wholeness, the way that we were meant to be, we will experience it someday. That is a word of great hope and great truth. Jessica Thompson, our guest, uh, we need to let you go, Jessica, but uh, thank you so much for getting up early and being with us. You've blessed a lot of people. You've blessed us here just uh, having this conversation uh, about the love of Jesus, man. I'm telling you what, look at some of these uh, chapters here. And guys, I'm telling you, this book is dynamite. Uh, it's going to minister to you in a very powerful way. You know, Jesus with the fearful, Jesus with those in danger, Jesus with those in need, Jesus mm-hmm. with the outcast, yeah. Jesus with those who hated him, Jesus with his betrayer. Oh, man, it goes on and on and on. And it's such an accessible book, too. It's filled with truth, but it's not overwhelming, if you know what I mean. 